Gospel of Luke, embarking on a new series in this third of four Gospels. This message is the forerunner of the king. I do believe that this is, though he's not named in this gospel, that it is the gospel according to Luke. And he has a sequel, as you know, the book of Acts. So we have the, the uh, record of Christ's ministry with a fourth um, writer in the Gospels, and then the continuing work of Jesus through his apostles by the power of his Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Luke is mentioned three times in the New Testament in Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Philemon, all, as you remember, prison epistles. He was a faithful companion to the Apostle Paul. He also is found in the book of Acts, several we passages, I think four different passages in chapters 16, 20, 21, and 27, where we believe that as the writer to the book of uh, Acts, that he includes himself, he was a faithful companion of the apostle. In Colossians 4.14, he's called the beloved physician, Paul's accompanying colleague, as we see in the book of Acts. And what a blessing to have a, a Christian colleague who's also a doctor uh, able to minister to those who might be stoned or whipped or uh, persecuted like Paul. He was faithful to the end. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. And in Philemon 24, he's called Lucas, a fellow laborer. So, in very brief introduction in the Gospel of Luke. Luke, it's argued whether he was a Jew or a Gentile, but I guess it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. But this is a book in particular written toward Gentiles, where Matthew, for instance, is a book written primarily with the Jews in mind. And you remember one proof of this is the genealogy. In Matthew's genealogy, Jesus goes back to Abraham, but in Luke's genealogy, Jesus uh, is traced back to Adam. So Luke is ministering to humans, you know, other than, say, the Jews, all nations. And we find Luke particularly includes many women in his gospel even in, in, in this particular beginning, we have uh, the bookends. You have a woman who's too old to have children who ends up having a child, and you have a woman who's uh, not married and is a virgin. So you have the other end of the spectrum where the Lord miraculously, through Mary, brings forth the Messiah. Uh, many believe that children also are, are part of Luke's uh, content. He loved minister to uh, note the ministry of Christ to children as well as to women. And uh, his, his uh, 
his focus on the salvation of Gentiles, the salvation of sinners. The, the a brief introduction we find in verses uh, 1 to 4 perhaps indicates the person who financed Luke's uh, endeavor to, as he says, to take in hand and set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us which were, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good up to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things, from the very first, to write unto thee in order most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Theophilus, we're not sure who he was. His name means friend of God or lover of God. Theos, theos is the name for God, and philos is, of course, the word for friend or loved one. And we might conclude that Theophilus was Again, a, a uh, dignitary of some kind, he's called most excellent. That's usually a reserve for nobility or someone who is uh, well-respected. But he's also, remember, the recipient of the historical book of Acts. So Luke was a historian. He loved trace the history, and that's what he's saying. He was not an eyewitness, but that Luke's intention is to deliver eyewitness testimonies, not to reconstruct history, but to follow the chronology of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting how uh, the word instructed in verse 4 is the word from which we get our word catechism. He was wherein thou hast been catechized. The word catechize means to sound down, uh, to, to instruct orally. And of course, we, we know the term catechism, question and answer, oral instruction uh, regarding God's word. And we find that Luke was a great historian and many before discoveries in uh, the digs around different sites found that Luke is right on the ball as far as the accuracy of the names and places that he records in his writings. Luke feels compelled to write a gospel of Jesus Christ. Even though the noun gospel is not found in Luke or even John, the verb is certainly found in chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, it speaks of the glad tidings, the good tidings uh, regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. Gabriel says, I'm sent to speak unto thee, to Zacharias, and to show thee these glad tidings. Even though he was particularly prophesying here, Gabriel, you know, an archangel, he was particularly prophesying about John the Baptist, yet it related to the Lord Jesus Christ because John was the forerunner of Christ, as Isaiah prophesied in chapter 40. 
And then Gabriel appears to Mary and, and uh, prophesies the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ uh, up there in verse 26 and following. But it speaks, you remember the famous words when Jesus was born, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That's the word to preach the gospel, to preach to the people many other things. It says in chapter 3, for instance, and Jesus preached the gospel to the poor, as recorded in chapter 4 and verse 18. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not merely biographies of Jesus Christ, but they are gospels. There is a difference. They are biographies, but a biography is not a saving work of anybody's. Um, but Jesus, the writing about Christ, is a saving work. It's a gospel. It's good news that saves sinners. And so it is with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Luke seems to indicate that he's filling out some of the bare details of the other gospels. So they all have similarities, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called um, synoptic gospels. So you're going to find the same material, although each one has some difference. Where John's gospel is, is different, where we find his theme is on particularly the deity of Christ. Matthew might be speaking about the royal king to the Jews. Mark, the perfect servant, where you find the word straightway often. And Luke, the perfect man, for, where Christ's genealogy goes back to Adam. So we would expect that Luke would have been an interviewer. For instance, he spends a couple years uh, with Philip the Evangelist, as we find in Acts chapter 20. So he would have had time to travel, for instance, to Bethlehem and, and maybe interview one of the remaining uh, shepherds that might have been there at the birth of Jesus. That he may have uh, interviewed Mary as far as Gabriel's visitation and the events surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that have been an interesting uh, experience to have been able to meet some people that we read here in the Bible, whether they be the apostles or whether Mary or one of the shepherds, uh, that you could actually sit down and interview them as eyewitnesses so that you could record something special as far as your gospel is concerned. We know that Matthew and John were disciples, were apostles, but Mark and Luke were not. Mark, we believe, got a lot of his information from Peter, and we believe Luke got a lot of his information from many eyewitnesses, as he says in the introduction. But this is really dealing with the fact that the king has a red carpet spread before him, before he comes. And the Lord, instead of having a literal red carpet when Jesus comes, he, he sends a red carpet and forerunner, a runner before him, John the Baptist. And John was a burning and shining light. From what we can tell, his ministry was only about six months. Can you imagine being called and you come like a meteorite and you, and you burn out and you're beheaded after six months of ministry? Though they were 
born close together. John was about six months older than his cousin, yet his ministry really lasted only a few months before the Lord Jesus Christ came on the scene. The prophecy of the forerunner is that his father and mother were well stricken in age, verse 7. Verse 36 says that they were of old age. So they were beyond the ability to have children, humanly speaking. The Bible tells us that it was in the days of the... gives us obviously a dark background. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Remember the king that would slaughter the infants uh, in Bethlehem and around Bethlehem. And they, we believe that he put many of his family members to death. That Zacharias was... Uh, of the tribe of Levi as a priest. But the Levites or the, and the priests were not required to marry women from the tribe of Levi, but he happened to have a, a godly woman who was from the tribe of Levi. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. That means they were justified. It's not saying that they were sinless or that they had been born sinless. It's saying that they had been justified. They had been declared righteous. They had been saved. And it was in the eyes of the Lord before God. And they proved their justification by their sanctification. They were walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, we have to remember the Lord had not sent a prophet for 400 years. These, they'd been four centuries of darkness in a sense. Ever since Malachi preached, it's now been 400 years since the Lord came to speak to his people. So you can imagine how many families had drifted off. People were not serving the Lord. They were in darkness spiritually as well as literally. And we find very rarely faithful people in times of great darkness and silence from the Lord. Yet we find Zacharias and Elizabeth serving the Lord in these lowly circumstances. And uh, we're told that, that Zacharias had the privilege of being in the temple to offer incense. Now, from what we can tell, that it may have been a once-in-a-lifetime experience. There were many priests all throughout the, the land, and they were normally serving in the, their towns and villages. But they had, by lot, from time to time, they were able to go to the temple itself and execute the office of a priest. And so it's very possible that this moment, or even... If, if not the week, the very day, because there were thousands of priests, if you think about it, that, that existed. And so how often could a priest be, get, have a lot to go to Jerusalem and minister in the priest's office like this? So you talk about providence. If this was his only opportunity in his life to execute the office of a priest in the temple... We'll see how the Lord times it so perfectly by sending uh, Gabriel 
to minister. And so we find the prophecy of the forerunner in the first section after the introduction. Elizabeth was barren. They were both well stricken in years. Again, verse 36, they were of old age. While he's executing the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, known as his lot, it was by lot that they ministered the way they did, was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And so it was a time of prayer. The time of incense was the hour of prayer. The whole multitude were praying outside at the time of incense. And here is Zechariah in the holy place by himself. And appearing to him was an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, probably behind, between the altar of incense and the candlestick. And there appeared to him uh, this angel and he identifies himself, you remember, as Gabriel a little bit later. And Zacharias, of course, was shocked and humbled and, 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 and startled and troubled. And fear came upon him. But the angel said, fear not, Zacharias. And Zacharias means the Lord remembers. Remember the, the, the prophecy of Zechariah, the same name. The Lord remembers. The Lord had remembered his people. And he'd remembered the prayer of Zacharias. Now what prayer was he praying? Verse 13, thy prayer is heard. And I would, I would doubt that he was praying for a child. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think the, the fact that Zacharias bursts into a praise of God visiting his people, that he was praying for God to visit his people. What one prayer would he have offered at the hour of prayer, at the moment of prayer? I think he was well past, knew he was well past. And the fact that he didn't believe the angel means that he probably had not prayed at this moment for a child. He had been praying for the Lord to come down and visit his people. Are we discouraged if every day we wait again and again, we're praying again and again and again? How often he prayed How often did he pray the fulfillment of Malachi 400 years before? That the Lord will send his prophet to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And that the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. The coming of the Messiah in Malachi. He was praying through the prophecies, no doubt, of Malachi among others. And here the Lord sent a chief angel to visit him. Thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, which means Jehovah is gracious. Just like Jonathan means um, Jehovah is is a gift, is a gift of God. John is a shortened form of Jonathan. God is gracious. And isn't that what the Lord is saying? I'm gracious to give you a son that will be the forerunner, the red carpet to the king of kings. Thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. The Bible doesn't say that he was a Nazarite, 
but he certainly seems to have the, uh, the uh, characteristics of a Nazarite. He certainly lived out in the, the wilderness and it says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. People wonder, is that a hyperbole that he was saved early in life or was he actually filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb? Well, we all know that God can save an infant while he's in his mother's womb. And John was certainly saved early. We can be convinced of that. Oh, to be blessed with children that are great in the sight of the Lord. Oh, that you and I might might have a testimony of being uh, blessed of God before him. And certainly, oh, to be saved early. How we should pray for our children and grandchildren to be saved early in life like John the Baptist. Verse 16 says, He'll be John the Evangelist. Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Of course, he's not God himself, but he's, a, he's an index finger. And this is what we, you and I should be, pointing people to the Lord their God. Elijah reincarnate. He will be family-oriented. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. He'll be soul-conscious. The disobedient will be turned to the wisdom of the just. And again, notice the timing at the hour of prayer. God answers prayer. And perhaps Zechariah's one and only lot to serve in the temple. Oh, what what a providence. What mercy of the Lord. Here was a man is so excited to serve the Lord in this capacity. And the Lord visits him with the prophecy of John the Baptist. We find miracles surrounding the forerunner as well as the prophecy of Jesus' forerunner. Notice, as it were, he paints the dark picture with Herod the king, but it's, he bypasses the king. He doesn't, he doesn't speak to the king. The king doesn't get the prophecy. A lowly old man named Zacharias has the angel visit him. He bypasses Herod. It's very similar to chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 where we read, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being high priests. Do you see this? He bypasses all these dignitaries and it says, the word of the Lord came to John. Just like the word of the Lord came to his father, not to King Herod. He names all these dignitaries. No, not him, not him, not him, not him. John gets the message. The strange man out in the wilderness eating, eating locusts and wild honey. Isn't that of the Lord? He bypasses all the famous people and his word reaches the humble sinners in need of grace. Oh, God can save the up and outers, but he loves to reach the down and outers. Oh, Elizabeth and Mary were nobodies and not nobodies as far as and their women, women in those days did not get much respect. And yet we see Luke 
bringing women to the forefront early on in his gospel as God loved to use these ladies to further his purpose. So we have the miracles of lowly Zacharias and and Elizabeth, whose name means my God is an oath. My God is an oath. After 400 years of silence, God speaks. But he speaks to those who have been justified. Notice they were walking all the commandments of the Lord. They were not picky. They were not selective. All the commandments of the Lord and ordinances. So the fruit of righteousness is obedience, but notice thorough obedience. And they were blameless in the sense, not that they were sinless, but they were exact in their obedience. They wanted to be careful to obey God's word, no matter what it was. Notice again, all the commandments. Are we selective? Are there certain of the Ten Commandments that we, that we discard, that we, that we feel are too inconveniencing? They were not selective. They were thorough in their desire to obey God. They had no child. God loves to bless the humble, the down and outers. It says she was barren. What a sad lot that was. All her life, people would probably look at Elizabeth and say, what have you done wrong? You don't have the the blessing of God upon you. She had that dark cloud hanging over her head all those years, and yet she was serving the Lord. She was obeying him like her husband. She was advanced in days, literally. And you remember what happens when Gabriel notifies Zacharias that they're going to have a child. Zacharias obviously had a response of unbelief. Very similar to what Mary says. How will I know this since I know not a man? How do we know that one was an unbelieving question and one was a believing question, a naive question? Well, the results, Mary was not struck with dumbness. Zacharias said, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said, notice the similarity, look at the parallel. I am an old man. I am Gabriel. I'm bringing God's word. I don't care if you're an old man or young man. I don't care what your condition is. I'm bringing the word of God to you. Don't let anything think, nothing, nothing is too difficult to the, for the Lord. I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and show to thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb and shall not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou didst not believe my words. Can you imagine being nine months without the ability to speak? Oh, I'm sure that, that he used up many clay tablets. But nine months without being able to speak, could you endure that? We have days where we have one day or one hour without speaking. Some even wonder if he was struck with deafness too because they didn't just say uh, uh, to him when the child was born, um, is his name John? He He had to write it down. But the point is that The Lord wants us to believe, though it seems like 
It's impossible. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. We look at someone and say he's unsavable because he's too mean or he's too ignorant or he's too unbelieving. God can save the chiefest of sinners. And so he gets a word from the Lord, a prophecy about the birth of the forerunner. And he got more than he anticipated. He came out with the inability to speak. And we find the fulfillment of the forerunner, thirdly. Elizabeth, in verse 24, conceives and hides herself five months. Isn't that interesting? Why would she hide herself for five months? There's at least one answer to that. No one would have believed her. She wouldn't have shown for about that long. So for her and, for her and Zacharias to say, we're going to expect a child, sure, what do you mean you're going to expect a child? There's no indication of that. And so she was wanting people to, to, to see for themselves that God's word had come to them. And so indeed, after those days, she conceived and hid herself five months. Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Oh, what a relief to her soul. What a blessing for them to have a child in their old age. The Lord had worked mightily to remove her reproach. Verse 41, we're told that Mary had visited Elizabeth and when Mary was speaking and saluting Elizabeth, John leaps in her womb and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she, she speaks uh, about the blessing of being in the presence of the one who's going to bear the Messiah. Verse 57, we're told that her full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth the Son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they called his name Zacharias after the name of his father. A couple of interesting things here that Luke seems to give some insight that by this time the Jews would not would wait until circumcision, the circumcision of the child before they would actually name it. And an interesting thing here too is that it seems to say that relatives were naming the child, but it was just an assumption that the child would be a junior, uh, Zacharias Jr. But though naming a child showed you had authority, remember God gave Adam the ability to name the animals to show that he had authority over them. And so do parents. Parents don't have children to... to uh, name themselves, obviously, but it just shows that we're authoritative, that we are their fathers and mothers. But in some ways, sometimes God reserved the right to name a child. Normally, he gave the right to parents. And we know from history, right? Isaac was given the name by the Lord. And now we find that the Lord gave Zacharias and Elizabeth's son, a name before he was born. He had the right to name John 
He wanted people to sense God's grace. God's grace had visited his people. God's grace was exhibited by the coming of John as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And they all, of course, were shocked and surprised. Not so. They didn't believe. There's no other name in your family by by the name of John. And his mother, point blank, not so. But he shall be called John. And so they called for the father. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, his name is John. Literally, John is his name. John in the forefront. And they all marveled. And then his mouth is opened. And he praises the Lord. And notice in verse 58, he doesn't begin... Uh, I mean, in verse number 64, he doesn't begin just by speaking of John. He speaks of the Lord before he speaks about his son. His mouth is open immediately and his tongue is loose and he praises God uh, for the birth of John. So we have verses 67 and following that Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit and he praises the Lord for the fact that he now has visited and redeemed his people. That's a favorite designation of Luke, visit. In Luke and and Acts, you have more references to visit than any any of the books of the New Testament. So he speaks... A doxology, blessing the Lord God of Israel. He speaks Christology. He has visited and redeemed his people. The word bishop is the word for visit. He, God has taken oversight of his flock. Verse 69, Christ is called the horn of his salvation in the house of his servant David. Speaking of Jesus now who's in the womb of Mary. Verse 70, the prophecies of Christ since the world began, would no doubt include Genesis 3 and Genesis 49 and Numbers 24 and and all the prophecies in the Psalms. He speaks of the covenant, the oath of God, verse 21, to be saved from our enemies, to remember his holy covenant, which includes the oath, verse 73, regarding Abraham. He speaks of the exodus in verse 74, delivering us out of the hand of our enemies speaks of justification in verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Verse 76, he finally gets to his son. Do you see the the godliness, the Christ-centeredness, the God-consciousness of Zacharias? He erupts and prays to God before he even mentions his son. His heart is in the right place. Even after he has given the prophecy of, the, of something that he never expected to happen, when it happens, he doesn't forget to stop and praise God. That's his first desire. And finally, he says, Thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. You'll be preaching about the Most High God, for you will go before the face of the Lord. He calls the the child in the womb of Mary, the Lord, to give a knowledge of salvation 
unto his people for the forgiveness, the remission of the forgiveness of their sins, the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, through the tender mercy, the love of our God, whereby the day spring, the Lord Jesus, the, the, the star, the bright in the morning star, as Revelation 22 indicates, where he has from on high visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness, 400 years of darkness, the darkness of sin, and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then a wonderful expression, the way of peace is through Christ. And we have a little tidbit of the biography of John in verse 80. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts of all places till the day of his showing unto Israel. You see, this is about Jesus Christ, not about John. Jesus is of such character, such a royal character, such a king, that God would spread a red carpet before him. And the red carpet would be a prophet who would come and preach Christ. And as he said, he that cometh before me is preferred because he was before me. I'm not worthy to to bow down and latch at his shoes. He is the king, and I am the forerunner of the king. And so we find that the Lord was pleased to give a, a living red carpet before his son, Jesus Christ, would come. And John was a comet that came and and went so quickly. Six months, that's about it. He lives 30 years or so. And he dies within six months of ministry. You know, you think about, I've heard of bees that live just a few days. Some of them don't even live through the summer. Some of them, we we have a beekeeper here, and there are bees that just, just 45, 45 days. days or less or more. And they're gone. They're like a, a meteorite coming and burning out. And that's it. All that labor that they do is just for a short time for the sake of the nets, for the sake of the queen. And in this case, you have a man living and dying in such a short time for the sake of the king. Are you and I burning and shining lights for the king? No matter how long we live, no matter what our job is for the Lord, what our calling is, it's all about the king. It's all about the king. He must increase. Who said that? I must decrease. This very forerunner. I'm the carpet. Lord, walk over me. Be glorified. Use me as long as you see fit. I'm yours, Lord. Are we forerunners? Are we, are we pointers of souls to Christ? Are we living for Christ and not for ourselves? That's the message of this forerunner. He must increase. I must decrease. God is so gracious to use such humble people to glorify his name. May we take the place like Zacharias. God remembers. John 
God is gracious. Elizabeth, the Lord, my God, is an oath. He keeps his word. May we live like the names of these humble servants of the Lord. Father, thank you for the Gospel of Luke. Please help us to call the truth that's so packed in these verses, in these passages. Open our understanding, Lord. Forgive us for our pride, seeking to be seen of men. Pray, Lord, that we would have the attitude of Zacharias and Elizabeth and John, Mary, Joseph, humble servants. God, resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Please kill our pride, Lord. Pray that we would walk humbly with thee. Use us, Lord, in the very short time that we're here. Like John was a burning and shining light. He was burning in his heart first before he, he, sh- he shone with the light of Christ. Please let our hearts first be devoted to thee. May our lives be lights in this dark world. Please use us to point people to thee until you call us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.